I love that song. But that could just be the sermon. Amen. You're free to go. But that's not going to happen. I love the song because it, it speaks about pretty much every circumstance you can imagine in life that people are going through, that I've gone through, that you're going through. And it says, speak the name of Jesus. And that isn't like some magic word. I'm going to speak Jesus and that'll fix things. But we speak Jesus because Jesus is the truth. And he is the word. We speak Jesus. And and I'm a big fan of... um, So in the Ten Commandments, it says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I don't think that's talking about using a word. I think it's saying, don't wear the name of God in vain. It turned into the positive. Wear the name of God well if you're called his people, wear it well. So speaking the name of Jesus in all of these circumstances, we're going to wear Jesus' name well and declare the truth of who Jesus is. We're, we're continuing in the book of Hebrews, and the, the title of the whole series is Jesus First. And what I find amazing is uh, this idea of Jesus as the Word comes through in Hebrews, not the same way it does in the book of John. We have a passage that Carl spoke about last week about the Word of God is alive and active, right? It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It like pierces. It's intimate. But we get the idea of the Word is, is more than just what I learned in Sunday school years ago when it says the Word of God is alive and active. We thought, well, that's talking about memorizing Bible verses, which is good. It's about Scripture. But it also starts, if you recall, the very beginning of this series on Hebrews. It starts out by saying, in days of old, God spoke through His prophets. But in these last days, He speaks through His Son talks about that word, and we'd say that word is personal. It comes from the Son of God. And, and then it talks about through him he created everything. It's a creative word. It talks about then that Jesus, the Son of God, holds everything together, sustains everything. How? Through the power of his word. And that word is alive and active and deep and personal and intimate. So when we speak the name of Jesus, we're reminding ourselves who he is, and we're calling on him to be active in this world in ways that only he can be. We're going to go ahead and just read our scripture passage for this week, and then kind of figure out what we're going to do with it. Uh, I've entitled the the message today, uh, Jesus, the, the authority, the advocate, and the answer starts in chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may, have, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people, 
And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, God did not take on, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The the book of Hebrews is full of lofty rhetoric. It's a big picture. It starts at creation, right? And, And Jesus, the Son, is the exact representation of the Father, and His Word holds everything together, and there's creation, and it's this booming vision of way out there stuff. And then it starts talking about high priests and Melchizedek, and at some point, a lot of us go, yeah, I'm going to kind of tune this out. This is weird. That's not my perspective. That's not my life history. That's not my experience, this high priest stuff. I'm going to tell you today that the passages we're looking at right now really don't exist out there. They exist right here, up close and personal in the stuff of life. As we jump into what do we do with this passage, I want to show you a picture. That is a handsome couple. (laughs) That's me when I had hair. That's Laura when she had brown hair. (laughs) This picture we have, we like it so much. We love this picture. We, We have it printed on a little canvas piece, and it actually sits up on a shelf in our dining room next to like a little dry flower arrangement, some books, candles. It's It's nice. And if you were to come to our house and you come into our dining room and you saw that, you'd say, well, it's a cool picture. When was that taken? So that was taken in 2013. What, what was the event? Uh, that was the Heart Ball, which is a big fundraiser the American Heart Association does every year. And, uh, and, and we took it at the Heart Ball. It, it's pretty cool. It's a big fundraiser. It's a who's who of people in the business community and the philanthropic world. And they come together to raise a lot of money for heart disease. Well, why were you there? Well, um, it was part of my job. Uh, I worked for a multi-billion dollar company here in Colorado for a few years, and uh, my job had to do a lot with doing sponsorships for big fundraising things. In fact, we look at this picture, and that picture on its surface was a picture of us, I would say, in, on our best days. About six years before this picture was taken, Um, we had closed a church. I had pastored a church. I was a pastor for 20-some years. And and we had planted a church, went about nine years or so, and and we decided to close it. And it was devastating loss. The church had developed over the last couple of years what I would call a a culture of of gossip and toxicity. And, And some of that resulted in some very deep scars in my back. So we closed the church. Went through a process of kind of 
I'll say reinventing myself, but more translating myself into a different sector. And I moved into the broader nonprofit world and, and had all kinds of great experiences, learned a lot, and was on my way up. And we arrived at this job back in 2012, and, and I made more money than I ever thought I would make. We were in a place of influence in the community. I had people coming to me asking for millions and millions of dollars to support their cause. And I could go through processes and give someone else's millions and millions of dollars towards a cause. It was a place of influence. It was a place of impact. I thought we'd arrived. And even at a deeper level, Laura and I thought, this is restoration for what we lost. We closed the church, and with that, we just about lost everything. And it was devastating. But, but this picture on this night was like this pinnacle. We thought, we're here. This is how God works. We lost this. Now we have it back abundantly. We felt like Job lost it all, and then it had multitudes more. Wow, this is how God works. We're so happy with that. If you were to ask me more about this picture, I can go deeper. This was on a Saturday night. And we are dressed to the nines. And, and I did so many of these kind of events, I owned my own tuxedo that, with different colored ties for different things. Went to hundreds of things over the time there. Earlier in that day, I conducted a memorial service for an old friend who had committed suicide. That in and of itself is part of the story. But the reality is that was a day. This is one day in our almost 40 years of marriage. One day of, that would be 14,600 days of marriage. One day that showed kind of this pinnacle, but also was a day I did not want to walk through. Could hardly sleep the night before. Woke up that morning saying, I have this memorial service I have to do for my old friend who committed suicide and I was asked by his wife to, to do this ceremony. He says, can you do this? You're the, you're the last pastor he really knew and liked. And so we met and I learned about the circumstances of the suicide. I said, I, I would gladly do the story because you don't say no to a funeral. You show up. And I said, can I be honest in the funeral? He said, yes, we want you to be honest. Now, now this story is actually kind of soap opera-ish. So, so the story isn't that just as an old friend that committed suicide and that was going to be hard. The, the story was this old friend was part of a family that was part of the group that betrayed me with deep scars. But you don't say no to a funeral. So I spent the day with the most mixed motives I could ever imagine. I could have said no a lot of times when they called and said, hey, can you do this? No, 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 I can't do that. I'm really busy. I have to go to the heart ball. No, I'll do it because you don't say no to a funeral because that's the time to speak the name of Jesus. But I, I know this is going to be hard because these are people that had hurt me. And that room, which ended up having 400-some people at this church, that, which was fairly nearby here, was going to have many people I did not want to see but you don't say no to a funeral, and so I'm going to have to walk through this. And, and maybe when they're there and they see how successful I become, that'll be good, but that's a really horrible motive. 
And so you stand up and you talk, and, and I, I talked about it, and, and it was like a lot of memorial services. It went on 400-some people there from all kinds of walks of life that absolutely loved this man who had a profound influence. He was a great guy with his own stuff. And, and so how do you deal with this? And so I talked about that he had, he had the sometimes fatal disease of depression, Our goal was to get out of that place as fast as we could. Not a good motive as well. Oh, another point that makes this challenging is that my boss, when I was in this role, her family used to be really good friends with this family who the service was for, but they had had a big falling out. And so I had to inform my boss, along with another person, that they were not permitted to attend the funeral. turns people away from a funeral. So all of that was in this place, this day I did not want to go to, and I know I was deeply sinful in some of those moments, and I still said, I'm going to go through it anyway. And it was tearing me up, and I didn't want anything to do with it. I wanted to get out there as fast as we could. We had our fancy clothes set aside so we can go into an office and change them and head out of there, but I couldn't get away. And so I'm still stuck there. So there was a person that came up right afterwards and says, that was just amazing. Thank you for what you said. I want to come to your church in the morning. What time is the service? And I'm going, I'm not the pastor here. Well, where are you the pastor? Because I'll come there. I'm not a pastor anymore. I had to walk through that again. And then still trying to get away, I turned and there was a line of probably 35 to 50 people waiting to talk to me. Thank you for doing the service that we couldn't do for my mom. My brother committed suicide, my friend. Thank you for talking about it. And, and we finally left. And it was this place of, God, I'm sorry that, that I couldn't see ahead. God, I'm sorry that I let some of these people who have maybe been my enemy and I've allowed to eat into me be, be what drew my attention. But thank you for letting me speak your name in your way in this moment because obviously lots of people needed to hear it. And I got a ton of it all wrong. One other side note to this story. This picture, a year from this picture... When, when I tried to stand up for the things at my job at that place because of my integrity, I was shown the door. What do we do with that story? This isn't a story about me because we could probably go through this room and you all have stories. This was one day with lots of things built into it. But it's one day in many days. I think I've lived 22,000 some days. Yes, I used a calculator this morning. <laughs> this was one day. And I said at the beginning of this, the, the, our passage in Hebrews isn't about some lofty thing. Well, isn't it great there's a God somewhere out there watching? No, he's right here. If we go back and read the beginning part of our, our passage today, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith 
we profess. That's the point of the book of Hebrews. It was written to Jewish believers who were going through tough times and were, were tempted to run away. I was tempted to run away. I can't tell you how many times, just that one day. I don't want to do this. I do not want to walk through this day. Whew, here we go. I'm walking through this day because I have no choice. Hold firmly to the faith we possess. And why can we do that? Because we have a great high priest. And he's not a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. I know a lot of times when we think about Jesus being tempted, we think, well, he's God. What kind of temptation was that? Wasn't it easy? If you get into theological concepts, I think it's the, was the impeccability or the peccability of Jesus. I think that's the term, right? Well, could he have sinned or could, was it impossible for? All we know is it says he was tempted in every way we were, yet he did not give into it. But, but we like to say, I don't know if he can really understand my position because he's God well, I'd like to share with you a, a quote C.S. Lewis made a great observation about this idea of the temptation of Christ uh, let me just read part of it for you it was uh, there's a silly idea that good people do not know what temptation means that's an obvious lie only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is after all, you find out the strength of an army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse until we try to fight it. And Christ because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation really is. Our, our question is, can, can Jesus really understand my temptation, what I go through? No, do I have a clue what he went through? No. I can't even begin to measure up. It's going to get harder and harder and harder the more I say no. And I think the greatest temptation that Jesus wrestled with in this account is the wrestle to say, I, I am not following through with this commitment. This is what I need to do, but this is hard. This is really hard, and we see that towards the end of this passage, and we'll look at that in just a moment. So because that's who Jesus is, because we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think the, the way to best understand that is to, to look at what came next in this passage. And, and the writer of Hebrews starts talking about, well, what's a high priest like? They're saying, well, the old way of thinking about high priests, and he talks about a few things. Every high priest is selected from the people, right? They aren't from outside. They're insiders. They're from the people. And they're there to represent the people in matters to God. 
regarded to gifts and sacrifices for sins, right? So this is somebody chosen from among the people, and they represent the people. And then there's also kind of this normal thing with high priests that um, they are able to be pastoral. They can deal gently with people who are ignorant or going astray. Why? Because they've gone through it too. They, here it talks about they need to atone for their sins as well. So the high priest, like on the Day of Atonement, first had to atone for his own family's sins before they could do a sacrifice for all the other people's sins. And then it just basically says that nobody just signs up to be a priest, a high priest. That's something only God can call you to do, something to point you to do. And so when we look at this idea of we have this high priest, their first understanding would be, well, that's somebody who goes before God for us. This is a person who advocates for us on behalf of us before God. What's unique in this situation, so if you're putting yourself in the, in the shoes or the seats of the people listening to this for the first time, one of the first things they go, oh, that's different, would be the passage we just read. We have a great high priest who goes before us, Jesus, the one who can empathize with us. Why? Because he's gone through, he's been tempted as we are, but hasn't sinned. And then he says, let us then approach the throne of grace, which would have caught them off guard, because the high priest was the only one who could do that. They had to go on behalf of the people, and it's kind of behind closed doors. It's done in secret. I hope things handled the right way. They're doing something because I can't go there, and this is basically Jesus saying, he's the great high priest. He's been appointed that by God. He's our advocate. I'm going to advocate for you at the throne of grace. Oh, come with me. Come with me. And this isn't the idea of kind of once and for all. This is ongoing. This is daily. That story of that one day, multiple times during that one day, come before the throne of God where grace is freely given. And it says, come confidently. I think the kind of literal understanding of that is be frank, bold in what you say. Well, isn't that kind of arrogant to go before God? No, it would be arrogant not to accept what Jesus invited you to do. Come with me. Come with me now. Be bold. Be bold for, before God. Why? Because he loves to pour out grace in the middle of what you're going through. So then it talked about every high priest. We talked about that. And then it's like, but now how is Christ different? Starting in verse 5. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, and he quotes a Psalm 2, you are my son, and we heard this passage back in chapter 1, you are my son, today I have become your father. And then he says in another place, which is Psalm 110, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, this passage is a jumping off point for a really large part of Hebrews. It talks about the high priests and Melchizedek, and that's the place you go, Melchizedek, don't get it, who is that? We're not going to actually go in that today. That's coming because it's handled more in detail later, and we'll have some other sermons talking about that. I think Steve is doing one. Talk more deep about this high priest. What does that mean? Who's Melchizedek? But all we know in this is that these are psalms that were pointing towards a Messiah. And it's like, this is my son. He's the Messiah. He's the king. And he's also a priest. And that came through appointment from God. You are, he is appointed. He has the authority from God. 
which doesn't always play well in our culture. There are some ways the expectation is that just by saying Jesus has been appointed by the Father to be the high priest, he's son and king and priest, that should be enough. And what he says through that penetrating word of his, we should say, yep, that's what I want to know and be and live. And yet we have an interesting story here, which would have also caught them off guard. Well, how did Jesus get to that position of high priest? It's appointed, he has authority, but it says during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. If you let your brain go back to the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what he's doing, he was crying out. Now, now, if I'm picturing that from when I learned that in like Sunday school days, probably on a flannel board, it was like a picture of Jesus kneeling by a big rock and he's being bathed in the warm glow of light from the Father. That, that, that's not how I read this or the passages in the Gospels. That was a moment of anguish. And what was he crying out? Saying, Father, if there's another way out of this, I would prefer that. I, I don't like this. And that's the temptation to run away. I know I was sent for this. This does not seem like something I want to do. However, not your way, but mine. Not my will, but yours. Sorry, that was a really bad slip. <laughs> because that's what I pray all the time. Not your way, but mine. Could you maybe make that your way? But that's a temptation that we go through. I don't want to walk this, but not my will, but yours. He cried out in anguish. And what's interesting is it says, because the book of Hebrews knows, the writer knows the whole story, fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. However, we know he wasn't like snatched out of that moment. He still went through it all. His cry was heard and it was answered in the resurrection. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now, if you read that slowly, that's a point where you could have some challenges. Listen, this says Jesus became perfect. He was made perfect. I thought he was perfect already. I thought he was God. We already know he didn't sin. Maybe it doesn't mean what I think it means. I think when it talks about he learned obedience from what he suffered... And once he completed that journey, that's the idea of perfection there. Not that he had a moral thing to overcome, not that he had committed sin. We already know that's not true. It was more of once things had been completed, his mission, his passion was completed. He went all the way through the cross and then the resurrection and the ascension. He completed all that. He truly was the high priest. He truly was the one. He learned obedience. It's kind of like if, if I were a wealthy business owner and I wanted to turn my business over to my son or my daughter. 
it's not like the day I decide to retire, I'd like to introduce you to my son, Bobby, who's now the boss. And we've never met Bobby. We don't even know if Bobby understands the business. No, if I'm a smart business owner, I start bringing Bobby along. And first, he's going to learn what it takes to produce the product in the shop. Then he's going to learn how to sell it. Then he's going to learn how to market it. Then he's going to understand the financial situation we are. And then he's going to learn what it means to be a fiduciary and to have uh, great concern and utmost um, doing what he can to make sure everything is run on the up and up, to be successful. That's kind of what this is. Jesus, God's son, the one who is fully God and fully human, walking this earth needed through obedience and suffering to learn how much God loved these people who had fallen away. And he did it by walking among them. He did it by being open to every temptation that could be thrown at him and not giving in. He would do it by crying out in anguish to the Father and walking through that day anyway. Jesus' path to being the high priest was a pathway of suffering and obedience and endurance. We are called to that life. Not because God is sadistic and says, you got to go through hard things, knowing that's the reality of a fallen world. And he says, you know what the best way to live is? You know how this is going to play out best is to let my piercing, discerning, intimate word penetrate your very being. And understand that Scripture and the Word of God brings great encouragement and and it brings real challenges. It takes the opportunity to receive grace and it brings with it all kinds of times to live in humility. It brings the opportunity to see things in this amazing, beautiful, big way and also to understand the depth of our own sin. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that the one who is the king, the authority, the one who is our high priest, our advocate, the one who is the answer, the one who lived it and walked it as an example, is Jesus. I can trust each of my days to the one who's walked it to the one who says, I want to work in your life in that depression, in that anxiety, in that addiction, in those questions you have about the future, in your family, in your relationships, in your own wrestling with your worth, with your own struggling with shame, with any guilt you might feel. Jesus says, I'm with you in that. Let's go before the Father. You and me. Together the throne of grace, the throne of life. Would you pray with me? Father, we, wow, you're challenged by your word in a lot of ways because it's, you don't allow it just to stay out there. It it has to come in deep and personal and intimate. And you said in following you in your suffering, 
in obedience, in endurance. That's where life happens. And Lord, we can try to believe that just because you said it, but we believe it even more because you proved it. So we trust in the Savior who walked this earth as we have, yet didn't sin, who cried out in anguish, yet surrendered his will to your will. Let us follow in those footsteps. In the name of Jesus, the one who gives life itself. Amen.